My name is Mark Langworthy, and you are listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. Today's podcast is sponsored by Hearable, the book reading subscription. When you take out a Hearable subscription, a peasant will follow you around as you get on with your business. No, not that sort of business. And they will read a book to you while you work. Hearable offers a wide selection of more than six books, including The Half-Life of Cheese by C.J. Cheddar, The Importance of Being Important by Lord Bunting of Lee, Adventures in Crop Rotation by Jess Frimlington, Candles and Their Uses by James Lucerne, Memoirs of a Blanket Weaver by Amelia Textual, the best-selling Tale of Two Mid-Sized Towns by Charles Spiggins, and uh, that's the entire library. Hearable is only three groats every full moon. All the tabletop role-play news, we aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse. And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, aka Morris, or Morris, aka Russ, and with me this week is... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ, it is absolutely fantastic to be here. Our guest this week, Peter, is a very special guest. I know we've had some special guests over the years, (laughs) but this one is Ah. a very special guest. Interesting. Oh, I'd like well, to who, think who, so. Who are they? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> you may know our guest from titles such as D&D 3rd Edition, Ars Magica, 13th oh. Age, <gasps> and Everway, which what? is on Kickstarter for a second edition right now, and we'll be talking no. all about that later in the show. But it's a great pleasure to welcome Jonathan Tweed to the show. Hello, Jonathan. Uh, hello. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an absolute hey. pleasure to have you on. Yeah, I'm looking Ooh. forward to it. Yeah, I mean, we got you're you're one of those guests where literally we could probably talk to you for hours. Yeah, because you've 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 done so much. I mean, yeah. we, we're going to try and concentrate on your Kickstarter today, but I can't promise we won't delve into D and D and Ars Magica and all that stuff. I'll just try to well. talk really fast, and then we'll get through everything. Yeah, we could do that. We could do that. Uh, do a podcast at two and a half times speed. What I see no way this could cost you go wrong, and anyway, what's wrong? Well, actually, well, you know, it's a pandemic. I don't have to be anywhere for, let me just check my watch, six months. So we're good. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> just have me back another time to finish up. Yeah. Um, right. Shall we, shall we do some uh, RPG news? Because there's quite a lot of it this oh, week. Controversial. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, quite a lot of it is D&D and Wizards of the Coast related this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could start with either uh, mm-hmm. some sort of business news in the uh, Wizards of the Coast end, or some news about their upcoming new book, which should we go with? Oh, Wizards of the Coast, they've rebranded, like, to try and look like New Line Cinemas. For some <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, th- I, th- I thought it looked like Doctor Who, actually, but the okay. <laughs> new Doctor Who look like... <laughs> no, it, it could work. It's certainly a thing that they could do. Yeah, so uh, Hasbro has announced that it's restructuring mm. into three major divisions. Mm. And Wizards of the Coast is one of those three divisions. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so uh, the divisions are, the, the first division is kind of consumer products, which is kind of like toys. So it's yeah. like the Transformers yeah. and, the, mm. uh, you know, whatever. And the board games, I think, like Monopoly and um, yeah. all, all that sort of stuff they do. Mm-hmm. But Wizards of the Coast is actually one of those top level three um, divisions mm. now. Right. 
And even more interestingly, if you look at the profits that Wizards of the Coast makes, at the mm. moment, it is making more than the toys division. Wow. Wow. Which is astonishing. Astonishing. It's a good uh, time to the, be a geek, right? Like I know. Just, I mean, yeah. I mean, not revenue. Don't get me wrong. Profit. Oh, okay. Like oh, the profit right, margins think, yeah. are higher, but but yeah. profit wise, it's doing better than Transformers and Monopoly and GI Joe and uh, uh, whatever you know, right, all the yeah. other stuff that Hasbro has, which well, is suppose, amazing. Yeah, I suppose like those people are selling actual physical products, which are easily counterfeited, whereas this is selling imagination. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big profit margin on imagination, is that what we're saying? Oh, well, I mean the like the source material is pretty cheap. I'll say. <laughs> well, and you can buy yeah. the same magic booster over and over again, but you're not going to buy the same GHO over again. That is mm. true. Although, to be yeah. fair, I have rebought a lot of Transformers toys <laughs> from my youth <laughs> by eBay. So. <laughs> <laughs> But again, that's from eBay rather than from Hasbro. So I can that see is, where that, that comes is, from. To be fair, that to be fair <laughs> is true. Yes, but I have yeah. I have technically bought Optimus Prime more than once. <laughs> and um, I was going to just mention the new logo. We did we did mention it briefly earlier. Have you both seen? I know you have Peter briefly. Seen it, briefly. So have you yeah. got any thoughts on it? I mean, I quite liked the old logo. I a sort of swirly kind of one they've been using for the last twenty years. Well, maybe that's why they got rid of it. Not because I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what it looked like. Yeah. I mean, it just looks a bit... It looks very late 90s. It looks, yeah, it looks kind of movie studio to me. Like, well, they've gone... Well, yeah, maybe maybe that's why they went and said, new line cinema. Yeah. <laughs> but but if, if they were planning on making media content, and you, we know they're kind of like doing... Um, films and looking into TV and things like that. That You can imagine that flashing up on the TV. The old one or the new one? The new one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe they just lost the original graphics file or something. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Um, <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> maybe they didn't have anything suitable. Two projects on the cinema screen. <laughs> yeah. Um, talking of uh, D&D, which is the coast, uh, Fantasy Grounds um, has supplied its usage statistics. Ooh, exciting. And D&D's dominance mm. has increased to a massive 71%. Mm, mm, maybe, but don't you have to pay for Fantasy Grounds? I think. So I don't know. Well, that might that might be something to do with it because Roll Twenty you can do for free. So, um, yeah. and Fantasy Grounds I hear is better, but then I would have to pay and maybe get my players to play. I've you know, never I used Fantasy really Grounds to be fair, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> fair enough. I mean, D and D really it. it's has become super dominant, right? Like there's there are way more people playing role playing games now, and mm. that's mostly playing D and D. Yeah. Right. It's it's not a huge surge and you know, the new players aren't coming in and playing Apocalypse World, at least not at first. Yeah. I think um what what happens is they kind of um I think you said this actually, Jonathan, in an article maybe somewhere, the um I'm sure it was you. The, all these people playing D and D, they're kind of like your future customers. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Like right. In, in five five yeah, I'm sure it was you, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So that's how I view it as well. It's kind of like all these people playing D&D, but in five years' time, hopefully they'll be trying out some of the stuff that I'm making. 
That's right. And that's how we thought about it back in 1987 when we did Ars Magica, was that, mm. you know, we, we're relying on the D&D uh, presence to bring new people into the hockey. Yeah. 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 And, it's kind of like D&D has the power to do that. Yeah, that's whereas, right. Whereas, you know, whereas a smaller game doesn't. So, you know, D&D gets to be that sort of acquisitions. Yeah, that's right. You know. Name recognition, right? Yeah. Yeah, it gets to be that sort of gateway gateway kind of game that gets people yeah. into the hobby. And then with luck, they, they sort of disperse a little from there. That's right. I mean, the number one thing that gets people to do something is they think other people like them are doing it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's how we got civilization. It's yeah. like every, yeah. everyone copying each other. And that's that's kind of why I think streaming is so important because yes. people can physically see mm. other people Su- playing Super important, D&D. right. That's right. And they can also see that some of those people are sort of Hollywood actors and, yeah. um, you know, you know, it gets rid of some of the horrible cultural stereotypes that people have had of, that's uh, right. of gamers. And Anyway, we're still on D&D news. Yeah. And the big news of the week and the big news probably of the year so far is that the latest D&D storyline slash adventure was announced earlier this week. I assume we all yep. know about yep. this. Yep. It was a pretty, pretty big announcement. Made yep. quite a splash. Yep. Friends I know I've worked on it, so that's good. Yeah. Van yeah, but... Richton's Guide to Ravenloft. Yeah. The mm. Ravenloft setting yep. book. Yeah. Which is pretty exciting. I mean, what's it got? It's got 30 grid domains. 30, Ravenloft. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with it, we, I think we have covered it a couple of times, maybe, but not in great depth. Ravenloft is the horror setting of Dungeons and Dragons, where I, you can frequently I would be find yourself. If anyone was listening to this podcast and didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, I, it was... I don't know. You say that, but we've had people be like, "What is a what? What's what's a five e?" Ah, true. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's that right. True. Yeah. So yeah, we we try and and make it accessible to the general audience. <laughs> even though they are almost certainly a massive nerd and we mm. love you all. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I am a big, I'm a big Ravenloft fan. My two mm. sort of uh, teenage settings that I was really into were Dragonlance and Ravenloft. So those two were the two that, you know, that, that really made, so this is a definite buy for me, you know, yeah. sight unseen. I'm going to, I'm going to buy this. So, I mean, it was really a, an early story oriented uh, setting, right? Like, mm. Um, you know, it was more, it was like mystery. It had a good looking villain, right? It, it wasn't random dungeon crawling, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, I think it, it really, um, uh, was monumental. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing that really appeared, I had, I had the box set in the, uh, I guess it was the eighties, was it? Early nineties, eighties. I'm not sure when it was. Anyway, you know, the box set was tried on the front cover and then inside yep. you got, Four poster maps, enormous yep. poster maps. You've got uh, a whole load of letter-sized cards with uh, tables or maps on the back, and there were uh, like a dozen of those or something like that. And then you got then you got the rule book itself. So it was a really kind of lavish, gorgeous book set. Yeah, that's right. And uh, do you recall, Jonathan, who the artist, the primary interior artist, was for Ravenloft? Because that so was very distinctive. I, so I stopped playing AD and D before the Dungeon Master's Guide came out. Right. And so I, I missed all of that stuff. I saw Ravenloft, but I, I never opened the box. Sure. So I, I don't recall offhand who that interior artist is, but it's very distinctive throughout, throughout the Ravenloft line. And it really, you know, like um, sort of um, uh, like for Dragonlance. Yeah. Hmm. 
Um, the, the art style is very, very distinctive. And then for Ravenloft, yet again, it's very distinctive. And for Planescape, yet again, they all have their own distinctive art styles. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that, that was really, really important to me. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. talking about this particular book, um, I did mm-hmm. pull up some facts about it. Yeah. Some interesting facts, which I gleaned by looking at all the different articles around the web and just like putting together all the, all the little facts that I could find. So it's coming yes. out on May the 18th. It's 256 pages. Mm-hmm. There are 30 domains with 30 wow. villainous dark lords. Basically, mm-hmm. 30 mini settings. Yeah. Yes. We know what some of those are, but not all of them. So we know about Barovia, mm-hmm. which is Strahd yes. himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We know there's uh, Dementsliu. I, I, forgive my pronunciation on some of these. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dement, Dementsliu. Dementsliu. <laughs> Dementsliu. <laughs> Fantasy naming is always my uh, Achilles heel. Yes. 15 minutes later. Yeah, that's why yeah. in, in every way all the names are common names. There are no made up weird names. Everything <laughs> is, you know, Rose Peak or, uh, 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 you know, Bright Star or whatever. Yeah, that's so much easier. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm, so just, much, I'm just yeah. kind of wishing these domains were school things like Steve or something. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, step but, into the realm of Steve. Yeah, it doesn't have quite the same ring no. to it. Yeah. So Dementsley mm. is like twisted fairy tales. Dark okay. twisted fairy tales. Oh, okay. We've got right. uh, Lamordia, which uh, has an escaped flesh golem. I think oh. he was called Adam. I'm not 100% uh, sure if okay. I'm correctly. Yeah. Frankenstein's uh, Fal- monster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Falknovia, which is a kind of zombie apocalypse style. Okay. Gothic horror setting. Yeah. We've got right. Kalakari, which is one based on Indian folklore with dark nice. rainforests. Yeah. And um, I don't recall the person's name offhand, but they did bring in an Indian writer for that. Yeah. Is that Ooh, Ajit? Uh, it could be. I, I don't recall offhand yeah. who it is. Yeah. Uh, we've got, uh, Balachan, which is all about mm-hmm. hunting the PCs for sport, and Lamordia, which is a realm of mad science. Ooh. Oh, that's cool. Interesting. Mm. And of course, yeah. there'll be more. Yes. Uh, I noticed Spell of Lost Souls references Harakir, which is apparently an Egyptian folklore inspired setting. Oh, okay. Yeah, so lots that's of, cool. lots of mummies. I'm hoping to see maybe Anubis kicking around. Mm. I, I, I'm a simple person. Yeah. Um, so the book's got a big old section on setting safe mm. boundaries for play, which I guess is very important in mm. horror role-playing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the game has dark gifts, which are character traits, which come with a cost. I remember those from the box set for oh, the, the second edition mm. version. Yeah. So this is going to be something similar, I guess. So basically you get some kind of benefit or boon, but it has come some kind of dark, twisted cost associated with it. I am a monster. Yeah, that's yeah. thing. Yeah. A couple of subclasses. Which is the College of Spirits, which is a uh, sort of bard storytellers who manipulate spirits of folklore. And we've got mm-hmm. the Warlock Undead Patron. Cool. Okay. Okay. Haven't we already had one of those? I don't know, have we? I'm pretty sure we have. Uh, first came out Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Uh, um, if you say so, I believe you. Yeah, right. Well, you should. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we've got uh, three lineages, which is the new term for yeah. races, which is the okay. Dampier, which is uh, uh, half vampire, I believe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, the Reborn, which is people, mm-hmm. characters who have been brought back to life. And the Hexblood, which is someone nice. who has some kind of link to a hag. 
All right. I've just checked, Russ. Uh, mm. The Undying is one that I was thinking of, and there was an Undead in an Afterkana. Okay. So, mm. Well, this this may be how... Yeah, this may be it, then. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what the difference between an Undead and an Undying patron well, is. Well, sometimes they end up probably similar, in. but just slightly renamed, don't they? Mm-mm. Rebranded. Yeah, yeah, because the Unearthed yeah. Arcana is just playtest material. Yes, indeed. Uh, right, where are we? Ne- nearly finished on this one. So, uh, cultural mm. consultants were used. I mentioned that earlier, but they were used yep. broadly across the book. Uh, they've got a fresh mm-hmm. take on the Vistani. Yep. Which is unsurprising. Okay. Yep. Um, I mm-hmm. think, you know, they did the boxed set late last year in a coffin mm-hmm. tomb of mm-hmm. Curse of Strahd. Yeah, yeah. Coffin Like quite a high box. quality product, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it myself, but, uh, mm. apparently, um, the book was also reprinted in that set, mm. and they've mm. they've rewritten some of the Bastani lore in that as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and made some other sort of changes. Um, mm. the, what was the other one? Uh, Esmeralda, her prosthetic leg. Mm. She no longer hides the fact that she has a disability. Okay. So that's another change that they've, they've yep. kind of re- yeah. rewritten. Uh, mm. What else have we got? We've got 40 pages of monsters. Nice. All horror-themed, including some nautical monsters in the Sea of Sorrows. And finally, we have a 20-page adventure. And it's called The House of Lament, and it's a haunted house with themes of spirits and seances. Sounds great. It does sound good. I'm so buying this. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think that uh, Wizards is doing just the right thing with their D&D products. Like, when I was there, we were doing all sorts of sort of C-level products, you know, that mm. were um, kind of not that important. And and now they're really focusing on sort of these big ticket items that people can get really excited mm. about. Yeah. And they're bringing in lots mm. of uh, freelancers to do them. And yeah, I, I think mm. that, that, that it's, it's really smart. And then there's tons of people like Cobalt Press doing uh, all sorts of supplementary products to, mm. you know, yeah. keep everyone full of stuff. Yeah, I think when when mm. you were there, probably the uh, release schedule was a lot more aggressive. Yes, that's right. And a lot, but the lot, early days lot more of sort of smaller, smaller things. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, mm. that's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on. So um, I don't know what these are. What's a sprue miniature? S P R U E. Oh, it's like a little miniature that can. It's one that you have to cut it out of the plastic sprue it comes in, yeah. right. and then assemble it. Okay, okay. So yeah. WizKids has announced uh, an expansion of their license with D&D this week. Mm-hmm. And they're adding WizKids licensed mi- D&D sprue miniatures, which come unpainted, Ooh. unprimed, and unassembled. Unassembled. Unassembled, yeah. Uh, made of HIPS, high impact polystyrene. This is going to mean a lot more to some people than it does to me. I don't quite... It, I it mean, it means they're super means cheap, like, right? Mm, like, right, you know, mm. instead of instead of having people literally hand painting them for mm. you in some factory in Asia, you're just yeah. getting mm-hmm. the um, like straight out of the mold. Here's a bunch of miniatures that were all together on one mold, and the sprue is this little tube that the plastic went through to get into all the other little molds. Right, I see. And instead of instead of someone in Asia cutting those out and assembling them and painting them and then putting them in a box or whatever. Uh, You know, this is sort of the old fashioned way. I used to buy sprue miniatures when I was a kid and they were like the little army guys or whatever. Um, And yeah, if like plastics cheap and, and painting is expensive, it's done literally by hand. 
Mm. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's sort of assembly line stuff, but it's still, uh, uh, still takes, you know, individual people applying individual paint strokes to, um, to miniatures. And so this yeah. is just a, a great way. And, you know, you see a lot of um, unpainted miniatures in board games and things like that for exactly that same reason. The painting is really expensive. Yeah. Still, and so if you can, to... yeah. Sorry, sorry, go on. So it's a way of getting people miniatures uh, cheaper, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's, let's jump over to Paizo, shall we? Yes, yeah. let's. So Paizo have been talking a bit about their upcoming Lost Omens Ancestry Guide. Mm, excellent. Even more options mm. for Pathfinder. So this book's split into two halves. So the mm -hmm. first half expands on all of the existing ancestries and heritages. Mm -hmm. But the second half, is full of all new ancestries. And ancestry is obviously what Paizo is, uh, is using in, in place of race now. Yeah. And this list, inc oh, it's a long list. Do you want me to read out the whole list? Or just <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a lot. For the highlights. Or, or just, just, just find the words you can't pronounce and try to find the words I can't out. pronounce. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So. I, I, I need some cheap entertainment. Actually, yeah, they're not too bad. So we've got an Asim okay. Asimar, an Azar mm -hmm. Keti. I have no idea what that is. A catfolk. Changeling, a Dampier, a Duskwalker, a Hobgoblin, a Kobold, a Lashy, a Lizardfolk, Orc, a Ratfolk, Tengu, and Tiefling, along with Android, Aphorite, Beastkin, Fetchling, Fleshwarp, Ganzi, Geniekin, Kitsune, Sprite, Kitsune. Kitsune, is it? Sprite yeah. and Strix. Nice. There we go. Yeah. I got wow. through them all. Um, hmm. So there's a fair bit of Japanese influence in there with Tengu and Kitsune yep. that I picked out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and there's also a final section entitled uh, Ancestral Gear with new equipment and magic items tied to all of those ancestries. Mm. And also it's quite interesting that Android fits in uh, quite happily with the rest of the world of Lost Omens stuff. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's interesting. I never thought that would be in a staff finder, I guess. I, I am told that there's a fair bit of like Appendix N weirdness in Galarian. Right. But never, never come across it myself. So, okay. Yeah, um, but hopefully with the rise of the Rune Lords Kickstarter, with the PDFs dropping in April, maybe I'll find out more. Hmm. Well, this book is coming out in March, March the 16th, 128 mm. pages. Mm. Stonker. Hmm. Yeah. Decent size for a player's guide. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When, when, we did, uh, when we did 13th Age in 2013, I wanted to change the race to kin or something. Yeah. Anything other than race. We would have been ahead of the game, but... Uh, yeah, nobody liked my idea. No, well, you've got you've sure they, they've, they've obviously I mean, listened to you now. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, well. after, <laughs> I think I think quite a lot of indie games have been doing it for quite a while. Uh, Pathfinder, yeah. I think, was the first big. Was it the first big company to do it? I say big, but big for the RPG industry company to do it. And then Wizard of the Coast kind of followed on a year or two later. I don't know who else is doing it. And, and of course, we're doing it in Level Up. We're using Heritage. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, talking and of level obviously, up. allowing mixing and matching heritages, which is going to be pretty yeah. exciting. Well, talking of Herit uh, Level Up, did you see the new playtest document that went out yesterday? For the Adept. Yes, the I did. Adept. So yes. the Adept is our renaming of what was the Monk. Mm -hmm. And the reason we've changed it to the Adept is because the monk very much says Eastern-themed guy in robes yeah. Yeah. jumping about doing kung fu. Yeah, is kind yeah. of what that's that that word. That's yeah, the I, I've struggled to th I've struggled to think of a better name for that 
that yeah. type of character. So like martial way, artist, yeah. that martial artist is sort of too modern and yeah, nothing does but, it isn't evocative like adept is. So that's good. Also, we didn't want it just to be sort of martial arts in the sort of Eastern theme sense. We wanted to think right. you yeah. might have like this uh, giant stocky wrestling pit fighter. Okay, it's yeah. also a, yeah. a different type of unarmed or, yeah. or a dwarven, a dwarven, a dwarf who headbutts people a lot. Or, yeah, you know, uh, uh, we, we got Fra Turk who's here to kick some ass, take some names. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean he's 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 a monk in a sort of sort of Western meaning of the mm. word monk. But I'm thinking more about the lines of the ability to fight unarmed here. Is the yeah. is the, oh absolutely yeah yeah. So it's like you know proper pugilist as it were. Yeah, and also mm. we've expanded it slightly to include athletes. So like. Olympian style athletes, oh, people yeah. who are just like the peak physical peak at what they do. Yeah. yeah. So people yeah. who have trained physically to, yeah. you know, so it could be to fight unarmed yeah. or it could be to swim or run or climb or, you know, that people. Which I got to say with the new exploration focus does seem like that might be a good yeah. idea. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's what the adept is. It's someone who's, who's basically yeah. physically trained their body to, yeah. you know, as close to physical perception as you, uh, Perfection as you possibly can. Yeah, yeah, it it it, it looks pretty good. Um, I don't know if you've been following the Level Up project with keen interest, uh, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if you haven't, um, but like, yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's it's quite good. Uh, it's been releasing the first ten classes of a bunch of different bunch of well, first ten levels of a bunch of different classes, which has been very exciting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just for context, probably. Level Up is our advanced D&D. So we're using yeah, the OGL yeah. to make a more advanced, more yeah. in-depth full set. Good. That's mm. what it's for. Yeah. Yeah. I've been a big supporter of the OGL. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, I have. It's, uh, yeah, I've, I've used it extensively over the last 20 years. I'm yeah. very, very yeah. glad the OGL exists. Yeah, there was some real... Uh, pushback against it internally at Wizards, but it looks like mm. that pushback's over. Mm. And now well, it's embraced, right? Yeah. Well, I, well mm. you can't really put it back anyway these days. So yeah, that's right. It's, it's, that's uh, what 4th edition learned. They tried to put it back in the Bible, and, and that's how you work, get Pathfinder. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, there's a lot to like about the monk. You can certainly recreate the old monk, if that is your wish. The adept, yeah. But if you want to... Yeah. Yeah, um... Uh, indeed, like the adept is replacing the monk, so you can uh, recreate the old monk using the adept. That is definitely a thing you can do, and there are some features that they've kept. Uh, but equally, you can just go for a different variety, if you will. So this looks like it might be a close second to me over fighter. Okay. Um, which, yeah, like I, I very much like fighters because yeah. I'm just basic that way. Mm. But. Um, in advanced fifth edition and the level up project, they're getting maneuvers, which okay. being fighters, they can just take any maneuver from any school of traditions. You, you're familiar with exalted and their sort of charm trees. It's a bit like this, yeah. that. Yeah, it's a bit like that, but without the speed bumps. Mm. So essentially you've got access to a whole bunch of maneuvers and fighters can choose from any tradition and yep. mix and match, which, which I kind of like. That's very, yeah, that yeah so really good fighting. Yeah. Uh, but the, but the monk, also has some stuff hard baked in, which very much appeals to my playstyle. Which you know, it's kind of nice because uh, it's gone from being a not really interested class to a yeah, this looks quite good. Hmm. Right, yeah, good. I think we finished the news. It's time to play our favourite game. It's time to play the game. Our favourite game in all the world. Guess the Kickstarter from just the name.
Shall we play our favourite game in all the world? Yes, let's play our favourite game in all the world. Yes, the game where I read out the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is from just the name. Jonathan, you're not familiar with this game, but I promise you it's more fun than it sounds. Yeah, no, I... And you've also had the rules recap. Hey, that's it. (laughs) It's like, I don't care, it's a game, let's play! Let's play. (laughs) And the scoring system is uh, highly, highly scientific. Okay, good. Did someone, someone queried the uh, the scoring system on Twitter the other day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't me. I just hastened to add. <laughs> I told them not to question the spreadsheet. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, right, Peter, we should have first so that Jonathan can see how the game first. works. Okay, this may be how the game works, but it's not necessarily how the game is played properly. Okay. Yeah. Are you ready, Peter? Oh. I was born ready. Hit okay. me. What is good society? Ooh. I am immediately prompted to think of, um, like, if I say uh, Victorian, that covers an immense period of time. But it's like that sort of, like, period drama style. So it's sort of like a game which evokes the ability to play in a period period style piece. Like, you might play with, like, Bridgerton or something like that. And, yeah, so it's going to have, like, rules for romance and um, just be able to play a game of uh, political and social intrigue. Um, so, can you do that in first edition? Maybe. I'm hoping for an original system, because this feels like it should be quite a strong narrative game. Um, and I'm hoping for a lot of frilly dresses. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a Barbie knockoff. It's sort of like a fanfic version of Barbie because you know Barbie has only good friends. There's no aren't any I don't know ex convicts or alcoholics in Barbie world. It's all uh, you know uh, airline pilots and scientists and who owns um, Barbie? Is that like Hasbro or Mattel? Mattel is it? Yeah, that's right. the opposite yeah. of Hasbro. Right, okay. That's the yeah. Hmm. So Hasbro's got G.I. Joe and Mattel's got Barbie right, and, right. They're, and they're locked hmm. in Mortal Kombat forever. <laughs> um, and so, like, like the fire uh, in the ice demons, absolutely, yeah. And, and, uh, and the, the game is meant to be um, played with the actual figures. So you can t- you know, finally hmm. unbox the Barbies that you've been storing on your shelf because you're a Barbie fan and now you can uh, uh, play a game a, a good society game with Barbie and Ken and uh, all her friends and her townhouse and her convertible. And... You know, I'm sure the official Barbie RPG awesome. will one oh, day I... exist. I am <laughs> sure. <laughs> as soon as Mattel realizes I, I that tabletop we'll gaming is big. in the D20s and the 2000s. <laughs> so, what this uh, is, is a Jane Austen RPG. So, Peter, I think you were really close there. Yeah, yeah. Huh? I, I think you were. Uh, yeah, I think I'll give you a thousand points for that because you were. Very, I did say very period drama. Yeah, yeah. But I did yeah, say that's right. And you also so, said original right. system as well, which is correct. So it's an original. Woo! So if you want to play a Jane Austen esque adventure, this 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 game is the one for you. Hey. Right then. So, Jonathan, it's your turn. All right. Okay. This one is called Temples and Tombs. Temples and Tombs. Hmm. So this is about um, uh, white colonial archaeologists stealing heritage items from colonized countries around the world 
and then um, all meeting horrible fates like the mummy's curse or or whatever. It's exactly and, and so that. yeah. I think that was a, I think that was quite an easy one to be fair, but yes, it is exactly that. Is Raiders of the Lost Ark, the mummy, romancing the stone, all that stuff. Oh. Uh, even the right. even the oh. cover image is very clearly an Indiana Jones silhouette, and the uh, the font is very much the Indiana Jones kind of you know the sweeping kind of Indiana yep. Jones font. So, yep. oh yeah, yeah, that's sort of like. Yellow going up to red. Yeah. Across the top so you, uh, cool. the cover image has from behind oh, a right. man with a fedora and a whip and a gun. So it's uh, okay. really okay. Well, there that, you go. It's the unofficial Indiana Jones the, RPG, I guess. I guess the question I have to ask is, um, like, are, is it like has Jonathan said, like taking the mech, or is it being played straight? Uh, it looks like it's being like, played straight. So it's like a mech, it's oh. powered by the Year Zero engine. Uh, is that like the Mutant Year Zero? Uh, that's te- yeah, uh, Tales from the Loop, Alien. It's yeah. Free League's uh, yeah. Free League's engine, but this okay. isn't by okay. this isn't by Free League. This is by Gallant Knight Games. Oh, okay, okay. Fair enough, yeah. So oh, uh, uh, that's a shame. I, I think it'd be really interesting to like what to like have a game where like you're essentially either playing the bad guys or uh, I don't know, trying to try to stop archaeologists from plundering. I'm sure you could use it to do that. Intriguing. Oh. Right then. Right, what's that? Uh, yeah, so, Jonathan, 2,000 points for that. Well done. Go I on, love this on. game. <laughs> <laughs> right then, Peter, are you ready for your next one? Yes. Oh, yeah. Hey, okay, man. this one is called Repugnant. Mm. With an exclamation mark at the end. Repugnant. Um, this sounds like the role-playing game for, um, if you wanted to make Cards Against Humanity a role-playing game. I wanted to dress it up a bit. Uh, <laughs> that's my first thought, which is, I gotta say, probably not right. <laughs> Repugnant. I, I gotta say, I think mm. it's a period piece of, from the 80s about, uh, middle schoolers from the chess team playing Dungeons and Dragons in their basement. <laughs> Monsters mm. and Mazes, mm. the RPG. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this is a, Supplement for Pugmire, and it's a essentially a bestiary for Pugmire with oh. like the the very most terrifying of monsters, including Repugnant. the dread vacuum cleaner and <laughs> uh, their terrible foes, the the receding car. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm going to go with that. Oh, okay, well, I think you know that it's not that. <laughs> it should be that. It should shot. be that. It's- I like that. <laughs> You you play that? Wouldn't I would you? play You'd that. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I would absolutely that, yeah. play that. Uh, what this is? So it yeah. builds itself as the world's most disgusting tabletop RPG. <laughs> Do you need gross, immature content for your gaming table? Farts, boogers, earwax, zits, and mutations—something like the nastiness of the garbage pale kids with more focus on gross-outs, adventures, and fantasy as you work through your day in the sickness of the crust. Not for the weak of stomach. See, that is 80s kids playing in their parents' basement. I guess. Making, yeah. Making, yeah. making fart jokes and, right, uh, like in Gamma World, you know, there are all these mutants that you would roll randomly, all these weird stuff, and, like, gas generation was literally one of the powers that you could roll, and so endless. Uh, Endless humor from that one. 
Well, let me, let me read a little bit of fiction. I can spell it from let here. Let me read a little bit of fiction they've got at the top of the Kickstarter page. So, you pick your way over the heap of discarded disposable diapers and crest the hill. You feel your bowels squelch and the air thicken as you summon the power of smellomancy from within. Your pock-covered companion greasily slips along near the moist pools of vomit. And it goes on like that. Peter doesn't look impressed. That's not an impressed face I'm seeing there. <laughs> It's, it's like it's okay if you like that sort of thing then this may be like the best game ever mm. but you know just like, I, yeah. I mean I love that the hobby is so broad now that niche interests can find <laughs> their that place that can exist yeah yeah there are games for you're everyone. not supposed to ever use the word moist though I think yes. they went too far there <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well that's one of the, one of the beauties of it, Kickstarter it, though is that you can pretty much do that and uh Oh, they're, doing, they're doing well. Yeah. They've got over nearly $4,000 yeah. raised so far. All right. Well, that's a lesson to us all. Yes. Yeah. Impressive. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, Peter, you get no points there. <laughs> Indeed, but I will give something. you one point for your oh, yes, excellent actually, idea. Well, we'll talk about... I get no points. Uh, no, I, I think you get a point for the Pugmire reference. That's brilliant. <laughs> okay, fair enough. One, a really big point. Thank it's you, only one sorry. point, but it's glossy and... Shiny and it's a giant for your goal. Yeah, yeah. It's a giant point. It means a lot to me. (laughs) Right then. So, last one. Last one for Jonathan. Are you ready, Jonathan? I no, not anymore. (laughs) Bring it on. This one is called (laughs) Lifted Vault O One Vault Zero One. There's a dash between the word lifted and Vault O One. Lifted dash. Vault O One, lifted Vault O One. Um, it is difficult. Uh, so, this, to be fair, yeah, this is, yeah. this is this is this is a this is a difficult one. So so this is uh, a a supplement for Five E with a treasure vault filled with the most amazing artifacts and treasures, and so there's all sorts of new items or whatever, um, and it's lifted. Uh, because it's floating in the air and uh, magically protected and invisible and the characters can never find it. Um, And so it's something for game masters to put into their campaign when they hate their players and everyone knows that it's there and the game master can tell them about the treasures that are in it, but they'll never find a lifted vault. Sadly, it is not that. Okay. <laughs> it was a good. It was a good try. It is a hard one. That that is. I don't think I would get this at all. Um, what this is? It's a superhero setting uh, based on the superhero okay. comics of oh. the nineties, like X Men, Wildcats, Stormwatch, Planetary, and Authority. Yep. All right. And it's for the Champions yep. Now game, but it has a lot of system neutral content in there. I don't quite right. understand what the vault part is. Lifted, I kind of get for superheroes. I don't quite get the. Uh, so maybe maybe Vault O One just means like collection, like this is the uh, collection of great stuff. I think maybe it's like lifted characters. Think maybe it's like issue one. It says, "Oh, it's a it's a zine issue one of a zine." Ah, mm-hmm. uh, oh, I see. Yeah, and they're yeah. Call, and they're calling their issues vaults. I think is uh, what that is. Yeah, it's like a vault of great new material. Yeah, yeah. those yeah. clean zines. Yeah. Yeah. All right, a treasure. It's a treasure trove of marvelous stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, that is the end of our favourite game in all the world. And I think the score is 
2000 to 1001. Is that correct? Yeah. Which means... Yeah, Jonathan, you, you, you politely didn't country. mention that I got zero votes on that last round. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> At least points. you didn't score negative points, which is possible. <laughs> I mean... Case. I, I was wondering if that was coming up. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It is possible. I think one, one time Peter did actually score minus a million yeah. points once. Yeah. So the, the Temples and Tombs one, uh-huh. you know, I, I thought I was joking. I was trying to be as far out there as I could and stay. And so it's, I'm happy to get 2,000 mm. points on that. I feel really good. Yeah. Well, you were, you were right. I mean, I can't. You got it like yeah. 100% Sorry, right, in fact. You didn't get a single thing wrong. Yeah. All right. Woo-hoo. So that does make you oh, winner. Nice. You, uh, you, you, you get to take home the uh, the trophy, uh, Jonathan. Uh, it's a metaphorical right. trophy. It's a smug sense of self-satisfaction. The snake rears back, staring at you angrily. Angrily? Yes. You have clearly angered it. How can I tell? What do you mean? I mean, how can I tell the snake's angry? Well, it looks angry. Yeah, but how do I know? You've lost me. What are you trying to say? It's a snake. I don't know what an angry snake looks like. Well, it has a a baleful expression on its face. On its snake face? Yes, on its snake face. And what does a snake look like when it's angry? It just looks angry. Look, I know when you look angry. Yeah, like now. Yeah, but snakes. What does an angry snake look like? I don't know. Its ears are down. Its its ears? Yes, its big floppy ears are down. That's how you know it's angry. I think you're mocking me. And that's not all. Not all? It has one eyebrow raised archly. Eyebrow? Yes, its eyebrow looks very unimpressed. This the eyebrow on the snake. Snakes don't have ears or eyebrows. Well, this one does. Well, this is stupid. I just can't take this game seriously. Well, you asked. You could have said something else. Like what? Uh, uh, it was hissing at me malevolently. What do you mean? You know, like an evil hiss. And what's the difference between a malevolent hiss and a regular hiss? Oh, I don't know. It's uh, more hissy, I suppose. More hissy. That's the best you can do. Well, it's better than floppy ears. Fine, fine. The snake hisses at you malevolently. Oof, I'm glad we got that settled. Yes, good. Now then. So, about this snake. Yes? What sort of angry is it? What do you mean, what sort of angry? Well, angry is a bit of a broad brush, don't you think? Is it furious or merely peeved? Peeved? Yeah, I mean, would you say it's annoyed, vexed, maybe irate? Are you kidding me? Uh, I mean, is it more irritated or more aggrieved? Dude, it's just a snake. Maybe it's not so much angry, just a bit cross. It's a friggin' snake! Ah, perfect. Exasperated. Oh, uh, your ears are down, by the way. Hey, so Peter, I was uh, I was walking down the road the other day and uh, I saw this bunch of really cool, good-looking people. Cool, good-looking. That could only be our patrons. Yep. Man, I have never seen such a well-informed debonair bunch in all my life. Yeah, right. You know, why is that? I don't know. You tell me. Well, if I was forced to speculate, I guess it's because they listen to our top secret, super exclusive bonus episode every week. Bonus episode? What? Yeah. 
Each week, our patrons get an extra half hour or even more of extra content that nobody else gets to hear. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Where can they find this? Oh, it's pretty simple. You just head over to patreon.com slash Morris and pledge a monthly donation. Anything from a dollar to whatever you think we're worth. Huh, I did a, uh, a scientific calculation once just to see how much we're worth. Oh, yeah. How much? Uh, you probably don't want to know. Probably for the best. Anyway, if you, if you enjoy our podcast, please head on over to patreon.com slash Morris and, you know, just pledge a little. That's patreon.com slash Morris. And thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this without you. I reckon we could. So, Jonathan, tell us, what is an Everway and where can we find one? So right now on Kickstarter, uh, the silver anniversary of Everway is, um, uh, it's available, it's going to end on March 4th. Um, so people got to get there soon. Everway yeah, right is at, my... right at the end yep. of the Kickstarter, aren't we? So right at the end of the yeah. Kickstarter. So back in the 90s, I hired on to do role-playing games at Wizards of the Coast. And um, we, my, my plan was you can't compete directly with Dungeons & Dragons or you'll just be second to Dungeons & Dragons. You need to try something really new and really different and do something that Dungeons & Dragons isn't doing and, and, and maybe find an audience that way. And so I created a fantasy role-playing game based on imagery. Uh, there's hardly any arithmetic. You use cards instead of dice. And so, like, you draw these cards that are sort of like tarot cards, and that helps you re- resolve conflicts. You create characters based on images that come with the game. So you have all these sort of images of uh, maybe they're adventurers or maybe they're enemies of yours or maybe this is a, a vision that you've had or something like that. And you use these images to create your character. And so it's very reform and narrative and multicultural and sort of a, a, a bright version of uh, fantasy. And, you know, it. one of our viewer for Dragon Magazine said it was hardly recognizable as a role-playing game. Because there's no dungeon delving, it's not about treasure hoarding, and um, and maybe it was too far ahead of its time. You know, it it did require a lot of improvisation and a lot of narrative and a lot of trust between the game master and the players. And you know, m- maybe I underestimated how hard it is to get people into that uh, mindset. But in the last 25 years, that game Everway has had a big influence on other game designers. And so they've been doing games that are more narrative and more freeform and more imagistic and less numerical and less simulationist. Um, and now, 25 years after the original game, well, the, the public is ready, right? And so now, you know, we've uh, raised, already we raised almost $80,000. Maybe we'll hit 100 before all is said and done. And um, it's just two guys, the Everway Company, uh, got the rights to the game uh, back in the day, and they have been holding on to it until the time is right. And now, hey, the time is right. Uh, and so uh, Everway is available in a more beautiful version than was possible in the 90s. Uh, color printing is cheaper than it was. Hardbacks are cheaper than it was. And so, and these guys have taken material from the, the supplementary material that came out for Everway and put it into the main game. And so it's just two big hefty books just full of art and uh, great content. It's the same core system because the, the core system was pretty strong, but it's got more elaborations and more content and 
it's been really heartwarming for me to see the support that this game gets. You know, people who tell me on social media or in uh, comments on Kickstarter how much the game means to them and uh, how excited they are to see it again. And so that's, uh, yeah, that's every way. Hmm. So I know exactly what our listeners are thinking right now those that aren't already familiar with Everway. And they're, they're, they're going to be thinking, no numbers, images. What what does that yeah. mean? So can you talk a little bit about yeah. what, what that means and how that manifests itself actually in right. in play? That's right. So the, the, there are sort of uh, numbers that ground the characters. And so every character has four stats, earth, air, fire, and water, which represent... Uh, in some ways, very practical things like Earth is kind of your constitution, and fire might be your dexterity or agility or, or speed. Uh, air is intellect, and water is uh, sensitivity. So you, you wouldn't maybe make a perception check, but you would try to discern what's going on in the environment, and the game master would look at your water score to see how sensitive you are to the things that are going on in your environment. So a lot of stuff can just be handled by looking at these uh, numbers and uh, like a three is average for a person and four is twice as good as a three and five is twice as good as a four. So you, you have these sort of heroic characters who are traveling from uh, world to world. Uh, it's, in some ways, it's kind of like Star Trek where, you know, the team shows up in a new realm and there's something going on there and they interact with it in some uh, creative or productive way. And then everybody learns a lesson or what, I don't know. And so you have these heroic characters um, that people have invented showing up. And you can look at those numbers and say, well, you know, you've got a high enough water score to see what's going on. Or if the conflict is uh, more interesting than that, then you draw one of these cards from the fortune deck, right? So this is a custom deck that we created back in 1995, uh, you know, all illustrated, sort of like the major arcana from the tarot deck. And so... The game master knows kind of the difficulty of what is going on. So like maybe the challenge is that there's something secret going on that magician has used some sort of illusion to keep people from understanding what's going on. And it's going to be easy to get tricked and difficult to see through. But then depending on the character's water score, uh, it might, it, the game master dis- determines what's more likely. Are they more likely to be able to see through it or less likely? And then you, the player draws a card that determines what it is, right? And so the uh, card is, say, the satyr, right? Um, so that's indulgence. And it is a water card. Um, it's, you can see there's a, uh, maybe it's not a water card. It's got an earth and air card. So it's not, it's not directly related to water, but it is, um, and it's kind of a medium uh, result and uh, not really that good or that bad. And so whatever was probably going to happen uh, the, the game master will say, yeah, that's, I'm going to, I'm going to rule based on your stat, whether you see what is going on or not. If you get something like the priestess, right, which is understanding mysteries, well, that's just the card that you want in order to see through an illusion. And even if your water score is low, you got just the right card. Look, she's even pouring water. So it has the little water symbol on it. And so, you know, that's good. If you got it reversed, you drew it upside down. Well, then it's the opposite. You can look at that and, and say, well, that's, you're, it's impracticality is the opposite and you don't understand these mysteries. And so you don't uh, see through the illusion or whatever. Um, and so the, the cards are built to 
create sort of an up and down result? Like, is it better or worse than you might expect, but also maybe some sideways or uh, creative extra element can be pulled in based on the image or the what's on the card. So the, the priestess, for example, is related to the moon specifically. It's got the little moon symbol there and uh, down here. And so um, it might be that the moon is related to this mystery or to the character or to what's going on in this realm. And then that's an extra, uh, an extra layer of meaning that you can uh, draw in. Right. Right. So the conflicts tend to be more interesting than like how many hit points do I lose fighting these goblins, Mm. right? Like your, your conflicts are more, how, how well do you handle this situation and what are the repercussions going forward? So this game was originally released like 20 years ago. 25, 25 years, years well, 1995. That's right. Um, so this is a, this is a new edition. Uh, is it uh, a, a vastly different to the original, or is it just uh, mind, well, minor yeah, updates? Yeah, yes and no. So um, so it's the same core system. It's the same core game. Yeah. If you have you know any of the original supplements or the original cards or whatever, you could totally just use the new game uh, with all of that. But it's entirely uh, re represented to the audience. So I was trying to go for a, an audience outside of the role-playing market, mm-hmm. right? I felt like Dungeons & Dragons has the role-playing market kind of locked in. Wizards, if we're going to do role-playing games at all, we have to find our own audience. And so I wanted to create something that um, like had slimmer rule books mm-hmm. so that people wouldn't be so scared off. Well, it turned out that what looks like a slim rule book to a gamer looks like a really big rule book to a non-gamer. Right, and right. so that didn't really work. So what the Everway company is doing now is they're saying, well, you know what? One, we're selling to gamers because that's the people who know this stuff. Two, the game industry has changed now. And so you can't sell a more freeform game without dungeon crawling to gamers rather than trying to find a new audience. And so they have two big chunky books, full size, hardback, full color interiors, lots of content. Um, like they're, they're sort of giving gamers what gamers want rather than uh, trying to find some new audience. So it's totally repackaged. You know, I, I originally thought that this was going to be sort of um, uh, like a, a small, uh, like modest redo, like just take the material and put it together in a different format and put it out there. But they have just worked and worked and worked and added so much stuff to it that it, it really is a, um, a new edition. Right. We're calling it the Silver Anniversary Edition. Hmm. So, how, how much was how much input did you have into this new edition? They let me write like introductory uh, material to the uh, to the books, where I could sort of say, "Hey, looking back at the game, this is what I would recommend now. I might do some things a little bit differently." They added some things that I, you know, reviewed, and um, because it's not a new system, really, or or whatever, um, I, it is till still a hundred percent my game. And then they sort of repackage it in a way that only fans would. Like, honestly, if I were doing it, I would have made it a more modest uh, revision. But they uh, spent a lot of time bringing in new material and generating new material. And so I'm, I'm really happy with what they've done with my game. And it is still, it's still my game. It's 100% yeah. every way. Yeah. Yeah. So can you talk maybe a little on the types of characters that you might play in every way? I mean, it's uh, is it a class-based system. Is it a, a more of a freeform selection of abilities? How does how does how does the sort of character generation side of things work? Right. So the the first thing that you do is you pick images. Right. You pick five images, and you're going to use those for your character. 
you know, like you might like this image of, uh, you know, a wizard uh, facing off against a monster and then maybe you're the wizard or maybe you're the person taking shelter behind the wizard or maybe you're from the city in the background or whatever your uh, story happens to be. And so um, you come up with a, an idea for a concept for a character first and then you sort of put stats on it uh, second. And the stats are primarily those four elemental scores that I was uh, talking about, earth, air, fire, and water. Um, and that's, you know, that's a point by system. You got 20 points and you split them up however you want. You can spend some of those points on powers and there's a kind of a free form system for like, I want to be able to fly. I, you know, um, I, I want to be able to manipulate fires with my mind or whatever that, that is, right? And then uh, there's a large number of examples if you want to pick from examples. And then there's a, a simple system for assigning points based on, uh, you know, how useful and powerful the ability is. There's a, a system for magic. So if you want to be not just I can do a thing, but like I can interact with magic forces and understand magic and manipulate magic and do that sort of stuff. There's a, another way to spend points on that. But the characters end up being sort of these, you know, a, a adventurous characters from uh, all these different places around the world or around the worlds, I guess. And, you know, they're, uh, they're often heroes from their cultures who, you know, are embodying sort of the uh, their background, or maybe there's some sort of vision or curse or destiny that they're pursuing. Uh, it's all, it's, it is this sort of high fantasy. Um, the mythos of their cultures. Yeah, that, that's right. And that hmm. the reason that the game involves walking from world to world and from sort of from planet to planet, um, they're all sort of uh, uh, variant Earths, basically. You could create your character and say your character comes from the steppes and you know you've got you're, you you have come from a particular culture that worships hawks or whatever it is, and you don't have to look at the game master's map to figure out where you're from or whatever. You come from one of these worlds and you step through these portals and now you're with these other right, people. Right. Then somebody else you know is a barbarian from the poles or whatever the you know the the uh, frigid mountains and fjords and and. Again, they don't have to find their character, their character's homeland on any sort of map, and and so each person is free to create their own character with their own backstory. You know, like how do you like? Some are outcasts from their realms. Some are out seeking something that they've been sent by their people or whatever it is, and you have the freedom to create that because the you know the map is infinite basically, right, right. and and then uh, game masters have that same freedom. Sort of like in Star Trek, right? Like, hey, we want to have a planet where, you know, everybody is black on one side and white on the other, but half of them are switched and they're fighting yeah, each other or, or something or like, like that. Or like Roman right? world and, or whatever. Or, yeah. or it's a Roman world. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you don't need to, the original Trek for sure, doesn't need to figure out where all this stuff is taking place. Yeah. It's just like you you worked into some new uh, place and here you are and you have an adventure and you fight over a woman and then you uh, wrestle with what it means to be human or whatever it is that you do in Star Trek, the, the, right? The universe is very, very big. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of weirdness out there. And yeah. this game just wants to embrace all of that. Yeah. Like, it's very hard to talk about Everway in an entirely audio format because yes. quite a lot of the appeal is the artwork and the cards. Yeah. But I have to say, have you, have you seen Dixit, the board game? Yes, I like Dixit quite a bit. And in fact, yeah. there's a, there's yeah. a web page on, I think, RPGNet 
about how to use mm. Everway cards for Dixit. Well, I, I was going to ask, would you, would you, how would you say that's a valuable aid to running? And apparently, you're like, <laughs> not entirely against the idea. Yeah. Yeah. For, those, for those listening, I'll, I'll just touch on the point that Peter just said about it's quite hard to discuss a, a, a game based on images in an audio format. Yeah. All throughout mm. this entire conversation, you've been like holding up various cards and stuff. And obviously, the yeah, uh, that's right. listeners um, can't, can't hear them, can't see them. Yeah, one, one of those two things. <laughs> well, they can do well, neither of those things, in fact. <laughs> Yeah, well, they'll have to go to the Kickstarter page and uh, and see the art for themselves. Yeah, yeah, but, but basically what you've been holding up is like tarot-sized, um, full-color cards with kind of like scenes and images yeah. point, point, you know, gorgeous right. kind of pretty pictures. Yeah, they, 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 these, these are big cards with like some exciting and interesting artwork yeah. on them. How, how many cards? Um, I've actually played in two games of Everway, so... But I think they, they they were quite heavily modded because like your description does not seem to be what people were running for me, but <laughs> it seemed to be heavily influenced by, but not quite the same. Well, it's, uh, the so. thing is, it's super easy to take in whatever direction that you want, oh. which sort sort of the design of the game. Oh, oh, absolutely. One was like sort of a a pre Avatar: The Last Airbender elementalist yep. fantasy, yep, and the other was a full on. Um, Star Trek style space exploration. Okay. With a touch All of right. Firefly. So, yeah. Uh, they, they, they weren't particularly close to go, but I, I could definitely see how it was working for both of them. And Interesting. actually, I mentioned that I was going to be talking to you and one of my friends who's an excellent GM uh, would just like to say thank you very much because Everway was the first board game, first RPG they ever played. Wow. All right. And it's, Good. They, they said it's had a really big influence on them with that whole. Sort of narrativist take, which yeah. nice. Oh, well, if we're going to be, yeah, if we, if we're I... going to be thanking Jonathan for things. <laughs> I have to thank him for Ars Magica because okay, um, the whole verb noun type of magic system. Yes. Um, yeah, I I have used that in my own work, not in the same way okay. that you did, oh, but good. but yeah. just the idea of having a verb noun as a as a foundation for the rest of the system. Nice. And I, I, yeah. I've always just been curious because it's 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 been it's been in my head for whatever since I've seen it that 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 way of doing it I've loved it. Um, yeah. How did how did that happen? How when you know it kind of seems yeah. like thinking about it now. Like, oh, that seems fairly obvious actually. But does, I, yeah, that's right. But I use I use that, but I don't think I I don't think I could have come up with that myself. I'm glad that you did yeah. for me because I don't well, think I could. <laughs> Yeah, right. So in, in Ars Magica, you've got five verbs, basically, and ten nouns. Mm. So you can destroy the body, or you can transform plants, yes. or whatever it is with your spells. So um, so Mark Reinhang and I knew we wanted to create a game that would let you do all sorts of wizards, and make wizards as powerful and variable and flexible as they are in stories. Mm. You know, like in, in Dungeons and Dragons, being a wizard kind of means having a spell list. That's not how wizards are uh, generally portrayed. And so, you know, we started to think like, what kind of wizards should there be? There should be fire wizards and there should be necromancers and there should be, you know, whatever. And, and um, so we knew we wanted a skill system um where you've you've got scores representing how good you are uh in these various things so yeah so the verb noun thing not not in that form mm. but has has appeared in more than one thing that i've written and i think mm. will appear in more things that i write in the future i think it's settled it's got a permanent settled lodging place somewhere in my brain as that's the way magic should work this kind of free form kind of yeah way of putting the two together 
Yeah, we just we wanted something that uh, would let you kind of do anything. You know, you, we wanted to support fire wizards, and we wanted to support transmutation wizards. Mm. Um, and pretty soon, if you try to give you a give somebody a skill number and everything that you can possibly do, like. I can transform animals or I can create fire, right? Or I, I can perceive minds or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's, boy, you're going to end up with dozens of different skills. And so the breakthrough there was you can put two things together and then verb noun is just the, the natural way to go. I'm a big language fan. I love hmm. words and word roots and like in, in every way, for example, all the, um, all the proper names are also common names so you know your your name is praises me and the city is called uh fire opal or you mm. know and that's in in non-literate societies that's typical is that your, your names are uh common words and so the idea in every way is there never was a tower of babel to make people speak different languages and sort of just like star trek everywhere you go you can speak to uh whoever you run into mm. yeah so I also wanted to touch on 13th Age briefly, if that's all right. Oh, yeah. Because um, I, I remember when... <laughs> yeah, Peter's a big fan of 13th Age. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm very, very fond of 13th Age. It's oh, thank you. probably one of the best campaigns I've ever played in. Mm. Oh, so, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I've used elements of 13th Age in lots of other games that I've played as well. Because oh, good, I, yeah. I, like the Escalation Die, for example, yep. is just such a really, really wonderful, simple yep. but wonderful concept. Really, really That's useful. Right. Well, always be escalating. Uh, but I think probably the thing that I've found most useful is the concept of shared narrative control in a D20 game. Yes. Like spreading that out. Yeah. Is, yeah, that, that was a big deal for me. And the concept of uh, rolling your background rather than a particular skill set. Yes, yes, yeah. that yeah. was. Yeah. I, I, I very much like that. And also the flexible attacks, as in, like, what number do you roll? Yeah. And that means that you have a different effect. And yeah, I can. And the fixed damage also. I was like, oh, okay, that helps make the fighting, which does usually play a part in this sort of D twenty yeah, game. That's right. That that sped it up significantly yes. and from my, i've never played in a fourth edition to know but i can see where the escalation die yeah naturally at that na- escalation die plus miss damage naturally speeds up the mopping up process yes yeah, yeah yeah fourth edition was really slow you get to get to mm. the end where people had used their per encounter powers and now it's just a question of grinding through the hit points that the monsters had yeah, yeah. and it's like yeah. oh my gosh yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's, those, it's that forty-five yeah. minutes of mopping up. Was, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. We we know how the battle is going to end. We just don't know how much damage we're going to take in the meantime. Mm. Let's roll a bunch of dice. Yeah, not good. Yeah. Uh, I I gotta say, there's an absolutely classic combo of escalation dice hits three. The necromancer says, "Hey, circle of death," and the cleric's like, "Hmm, this seems like it calls more judgment," and then all your problems went away. So that was that was quite. Mm. <laughs> It was just it's, a case of holding out until you get to Escalation Dice 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you, when you and Rob sort of came together to make 13th Age, yeah. I mean, you come from different um, systems primarily. You're the lead architect of 3rd um, edition, and of course yeah. Rob is more known for 4th edition. So you two, yeah. you two came together to make 13th Age. What was That's the, right. what those first sort of like conversations like when, you know, what you wanted to bring from each, what 
yeah. what, you, what you wanted to lose from each and uh, what, yeah. what, what your intention for the ultimate the combined game. That's the wrong word, combined game. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? The, That's right. Well, the, the interesting thing is that uh, Rob and I are best friends. We mm. have been gaming together since before third edition release. Like he was yeah. in the playtest campaign and, uh, and what have you. And in fact, we knew each other through correspondence. Like we had written physical letters to each other back in the day mm. through the fanzine alarms and excursions. So we go way back. We maybe are not as different as you might think. Uh, and when, when, both of us were free from Wizards of the Coast. We got together and just said, what's the best thing that the two of us could do together? Um, and that was do a new D20 game that mm. sort of is for gamers who like our kind of game. And most of the stuff that I was sort of rationalized in third edition, like you know the ability score system where every two points it increases your bonus by one and that sort of mm. stuff. That we just take that for granted these days, and so it's that rationalization we kept from third edition, and then we took from fourth edition the elements that make combat go faster, the mm. sort of lack of simulational simulationist detail, and you know, in third edition, the the monsters were all kind of object oriented, is how we would think about it. It's sort of like in RuneQuest, where the the same rules applied to the monsters as to the characters, and mm-hmm. so which makes some kind of sense, but it really does make creating a monster more difficult and it makes combat slower. And, and so fourth edition really embraced, you know, went back to the earlier versions of D and D, which is more game oriented and less simulation oriented. Mm. Uh, and we did the same for 13th age. The big thing that we wanted to bring to the 13th age was uh, the story elements. And so right. when Peter, you talk about uh, sharing na- narrative control, you know, it's sort of, with, when we were working for the man, sort of at Wizards, the idea is you want a version of Dungeons and Dragons that everyone will play the same. So that when you release Ravenloft or whatever, you know that everyone out there is playing the s- certain kinds of characters in certain kinds of ways, at certain kinds of levels, with certain kinds of ancestries or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And 13th Age was designed so that every table is going to be different. Every table is going to have its own background and its own version of the world and its own take on things and you know what dwarves are in that campaign is going to depend on the players at the table in that campaign like i i remember when i was first playing with these ideas um and i had sort of a drip down d20 version that i was playing and i showed uh peter atkinson was he was in a game with me at a convention and i said that you can invent something about your character class right and he said i was playing a wizard and he said wizards can never be trusted Mm. and that's the sort of detail that if you were only creating something about your own character it wouldn't it wouldn't carry any weight like what you could say you could say oh you can't trust me okay well that's not interesting but saying taking narrative control and saying i'm playing a wizard and i want to play a wizard in a world where wizards can never be trusted or at least that's the, you know, the idea. Well, that's, he was very, he gave me this mischievous smile when he came up with it. And that really drove home like, wow, yeah, you really want to give people narrative control so that they can play the character they want and they might have to say something about the class that they come from or the, the you know, village that they come from yeah, or the yeah. traditions that they come from or whatever in order to, to make that. And so it, it really is sort of, you know, on the, on the 
technical end, it's got fast combat, like the escalation die, and it's ex- missed damage, and it's ex- so it's exciting and fast, and and like a good combat game would be. But then it has all this like wide open character creation and and storytelling stuff, like the the one unique thing you get to invent about your character, and the backgrounds that you invent about your character, sort of define who your character is and what they can do. It's um, it's sort of the sort of thing that a corporation would normally never do is mm. give give players so much freedom that the corporation no longer has control over their experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's about sort of IP development as well, I suppose, in a sense. Uh, if, yeah. if, the, if the game encourages the players to create their own IP for the campaign yeah. rather than buy IP from from the company, it's a different that's approach. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly uh, right. I mean, you, you can definitely buy modules to the game. We've had like Ash Law on... Who's done a lot of yes, like really good right. stuff for Thirty that's Page? Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, specifically, yeah. things like the one unique thing about Thirty Page for me is it's a game I enjoy playing a wizard in. Okay, which, all right. Like I, I've not enjoyed playing a wizard in most games I've played in, but Thirty Page I really you, have. You should play Ars Magica. <laughs> well, no, no one's ever run it. But the but the thing that made it enjoyable for yeah. me is you is the concept of utility spells. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, which is basically you, you prepare your slots in advancing fashion, but utility spells, you say, I'm preparing a utility spell in this slot. And what is the utility spell? You don't yeah. know. It might yeah. be Featherfall. It might be the Sky Self. It might right. be Knock. There's That's a right. whole pile of things it could be. That's right. I really love that because yeah. otherwise you're left with two terrible choices, which is either <laughs> you're trying to guess what comes up ahead and. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, mm. Rob and I have played the hell out of Dungeons and Dragons, and so we know mm. sort of what what works and what doesn't, and what mm. uh, what sounds like fun but isn't. Mm. And um, mm. and so the utility spell is just a really good example of uh, sort of customer service, right? Like mm. that you you in in order to do what sort of the knock spell and the disguise spell and whatever mm. in order to. Yeah. carry through what those promise but don't deliver yeah. in D D, you have to change the way the spells work and that's what yeah. we did yeah. it seems yeah, to me that like there's a it's not not an evolution of but some of the same thinking when it goes into ours magic is sort of freeform system yeah. and the way you sort of make the 13th age utility spells more freeform yes in a, you can, that's right you can choose them as you go as opposed to beforehand that, that's right so it's yeah, kind of more flexible. Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of, would it be fair to say that's just something that's been in your head for, you know, it's, it's something you felt that magic yeah. should be like yeah. all, all along. Well, I think, I mean, I think that is probably mostly Rob's work. He did the classes primarily. Yeah. Um, and that, and, but, um, but, but it, it is the same sort of thing is that you want wizards to be flexible. You want mm. them to be able to like pull yeah. a trick out of their hat, so to speak. Yeah, I suppose in fiction you never you never saw Gandalf say, "Oh, I haven't memorized that spell today." Do you? That just yeah, that's right. Hey, we need to camp yeah. for a day so that I can prep a new spell tomorrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah no, it's a peculiarly D and D thing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I also I also enjoy like the modularity of those classes as yes. well. Like they're it just it in some ways it's like really lovely because you can pick up and play and make a character very quickly. Yeah. In other ways, I think it sort of works against it because a lot of D&D fifth dead talk is about what character you're going to play and what options and what little yep. knobs you're going to twiddle. Yep. And you have a much smaller design space. That's right. 
but yeah. it's all satisfying. It all works. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So the the other thing that I no. would love to talk to you about, but I think we should get you to come back sometime to talk about it because right. it's a big <laughs> it's a big to- it's a big topic. It's D yeah. third edition. This has been amazing. Yeah, I'd be happy to come back and talk about uh, third edition sometime. That's I would, like I would love to, I would love to do that. I really would. It's been an absolute pleasure, Jonathan. Really, really enjoyed that chat. Oh yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Bye bye. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash Morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. Lifted dash vault 01. You're saying vote like in democracy? Uh, vote, as in uh, vote, safe. Vote like electricity. Hmm? Uh, like a, a, a vault of treasure, a vault of money. A vault. vault. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, we don't we don't speak English that well here, and it's a little hard to... I, I barely speak it either, so oh. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry.